This is Jason Albert, and it's also the 50th episode of Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. As a made it to 50 milestone, we wanted to go big, and really no one is bigger than Norway's Marit Bjorgen in the sport of cross-country skiing. She retired this past April after becoming the most decorated Winter Olympian with 15 medals. And also, as it is with this athlete, there are so many accolades, the 26 World Championship medals and the 114 World Cup victories. There's also the methodical training from her low volume and high intensity plan to her transition mid-career to a high volume and lower intensity program. During the latter part of her career, she had the ability to ski away from the world's best cross-country skiers and redefine her own limits of success. She capped her career with her recent five-medal performance in Pyeongchang and a seventh 30K home and colon title, all while being a mom. And... We also wanted to take a moment and mention this 50th episode is supported by Fisher Sports, founded long before Bjorgen, way back in 1924. On to the interview. You're obviously a very well-decorated athlete, and we could go on and on about all the the, the medals, the victories, and so forth. But I think um, here in the United States, and I know in Canada as well, we hear a little bit about how you grew up and how you got involved with skiing, and it mostly it's through the announcers for British Eurosport. And, you know, they talk about how you were raised on a farm. You know, I'm kind of curious, how were you raised, and where were you raised as a young child, and how did you get involved with skiing? Um, I grew up in Rognes. It's a small place, very small place. It's about uh, 250 people is living there. Um, I was growing up on a farm with my family. I have one brother and one sister. My parents was very young um, when I was born. They was uh, 19 and 21, so they was very young and. Uh, yeah, they had us and they also take over the farm in the same year. But um, my mother was uh, low in sports. She was playing handball. And my father, he was using the nature. Uh, he was hunting. So the boss of my parents was loving yeah, to scold skiing in the nature. And yeah, that was taking uh, me and my uh, brother and sister out. And uh, we enjoy it, and I enjoying to use my body. So I think, um, yeah, I had fun to skiing, and I was also playing football and handball when I was younger. Yeah, I was loving to use the body and, uh, yeah, feel the, enjoying the sports. And uh, it's also the get my friends in, in the sports also. So, uh, yeah, also to be born in the, in the farm, it's, uh, helped me to be very strong. We was uh, we had to to do a walk at the farm with my parents, and uh, I think that also helped me to be be that athlete I have been. Yeah, I have an active mother and father, and using the woods and the nature, and yeah, loving 
and my parents also loving to be with me in in my sports also and yeah was driving me on the training and was with me when I was racing skiing and they enjoyed to be together with me and also I do the sports so just so I'm correct here it sounded like you grew up in a very small town and I think you said something like 250 people is that correct yeah 250 people Uh, wow yeah it's a small very small place yeah and what sort of access to skiing did you have you know i'm assuming like most of norway there were groomed trails around but was that accessible to you in your small town yeah my father was doing uh, make a track with the I don't know. Yeah, like like a snow machine. Yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah, and we also uh, make uh, skiing without uh, tracks also. But uh, my father was helping me when I was a little bit older to make uh, a good condition to train on. We had tracks, of course. Yeah. And were you someone at a young age who uh, was winning all the local races? Yeah. And yeah. looking for, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about, did you beat all the boys as well? Uh, I was beating someone, but not everyone. But I was much bigger and um, and maybe also stronger and, and that the other girls in my age in, in when I was young. But when I was uh, 15, 16, they also getting uh, stronger and uh, I think... Uh, that's yeah when i was 16 i was beating in norway for the first time i think yeah okay did you have to i'm assuming that you would have to travel all through you know to get better competition travel to oslo or lillehammer or different regions of norway how expensive was that for someone like you back in your teenage years to make that work um yeah, but I um, I was racing uh, around my home home place around the yeah Trondheim uh, around mm-hmm. yeah, like small places uh, around Trondheim when I was from seven to fifteen years. So that was not uh, not long traveling, and it's not expensive either. So. But but I was I was enjoying to skiing and I was winning. But uh, I don't have the feeling that I have to to go other place in Norway to match other uh, girls on a high level. For me, it was I was enjoying skiing and had fun and yeah. And uh, when I was uh, 15, it was like a, a national uh, races uh, with for uh, 15 and. 14 and 15 uh, years when you are that you can uh, have a national race that everyone in Norway is is uh, racing and that maybe you have to maybe it was close to Trondheim sometimes and sometimes it was a long longer way but um, uh, it was no problem it was one weekend in the year so it was not so expensive some like that so um, uh, my parents was with me and my trainer also so yeah it was yeah it's no it was not that expensive and we we could do it so and did you primarily ski with a club when you were young or did you 
ski with a couple of friends and then travel the races. You know, I'm curious how that might work. And I know also in Norway that it's very focused around clubs. Yeah, we, I was in uh, Rognes. It's, that was my club was Rognes. And it was only me and my brother and one other uh, boy who ah. was racing. So we, it's a small club, actually. And I've been standing in my club, Rognes, for yeah every year. Yeah, and I'm still standing there, so. Yeah. Who waxed the skis for you guys with such a small club? Yeah, it was uh, it was a friend of my parents who was my trainer, and he had on that time he hasn't uh, child by herself by himself, but he was loving skiing and he really wanted to be with us, and he was training us, and he also made the skis. So yeah, it was one one man in the club who was doing everything. So. And also my parents, my mom, it's also waxing the skis also. So I get lots of help from her too. There's obviously been a lot of interest in the Norwegian teams. You know, they've both the men and women have been very successful. I think also there's been a lot of interest since the U.S. women in particular have been successful trying to compare, like, what are people doing here in the U.S.? compared to what people might be doing in Norway. So yeah. um, that said, how much crossover is there between the Norwegian women's and the men's teams? And, you know, what are some of the similarities and differences that you've seen between the two? Um, I feel it's not that big difference. Uh, um, of course, that the, the boys are slightly stronger than our women. Uh, but I think uh, many of the Norwegian girls on the team is actually training more than some of the boys in the men's team. I think also maybe the the strongest side on the uh, ladies' team that we were, have been training together and pushing each, each other and learn from each, each other. I think that's it's one of our secrets. I think that's uh, make make out the good team that we have in uh, the ladies, and I think also the boys have uh, learned a little bit about that uh, that to train together and uh, yeah and help each other to to be on a higher level. I think that when when you do that, uh, everyone is getting higher, and then you are also getting on a high level. I think that is one of the secrets on our team. Um, and I also think that's uh, one of the um, the reason that uh, the USA women also have been yeah doing so well the last uh, last years. Um, I think that's also the reason that they are in high level now. When you first were emerging on the World Cup scene around 2000, was the the Norwegian women's team still the word I would use is cohesive like it is today you know training together learning from one another or was it you know Marit might be training here another athlete over you know a couple of hundred kilometers away or has it always been a good team unit? I feel that uh, it always has been a good team spirit. I think. Um, when I was in uh, 
the national team after after world champion in Lusty 2001. Uh, one of my trainers, Trento Sammler, was the coach then, and uh, I think uh, he he wanted that uh, everyone training together. That uh, when we was in training camp and doing the same, I think uh, he was. He wanted that, and um, I think we all started uh, when I was in the national team. And of course, uh, it has been better and better. And I think also the last uh, eight years has been very good for the Norwegian team. So here in the U.S., what we see of the Norwegian women, in particular, like the last maybe five, six years, yeah. is that they're very. They're very close. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very much. And is there something about that that has made you quite successful just in the past five, six years? Uh, yes. Uh, one of them, it's that reason. I think uh, that we had a high level. Uh, many of many of the girls is uh, in a high level. And, and I think also motivates me to, to push and train hard to to be also in a high level when you when you came on a training camp and uh, you always get the answer how you are standing because you knew that some of the girls is is uh, yeah one of the best in in the world on on skis and you always get the answer how you are standing and uh, yeah of course and uh, to training with them and uh, when the younger girls are beating me, I know that I have to do the work better and harder. And of course, with without them, maybe I'm not uh, having the years I have in the last eight years. Um, so of course, I'm happy to to be with the girls I have around me the last eight years. And uh, of course, that's one of the reasons. And also. The training I have done also at home, of course, but that uh, they have motivated me, and of course they have pushing me, and and I always know that uh, if they be- beat me, I know that I have to do the bo- work better. So of course, it's I think it's important to have a strong team around you. So speaking about this whole you know the concept of team, which the U.S. women talk about quite a bit. You know, what are your observations? What has it been like to see, you know, Keegan come on the scene and win three sprint globes to this year in the Olympics where, you know, Jesse Diggins skied every race, skied was a medal contender in many races, you know, distance, and obviously won a gold in the team sprint with Keegan. What has that been like for you to observe you know, a, a country that's known for basketball and baseball um, yeah. come on to the cross-country scene the way um, they have. Yeah, I, I'm really happy that we have the, like, Kikin and Jesse, and especially Jesse have been very strong this year. I think, uh, I, I mean, that's very important for our sports, and I'm, I, I was really, really happy that it was Kikin and Jesse who was winning Winning the team relay, um, of course, we wanted the goal, but we knew that 
if it wasn't us, I'm happy that it was uh, the USA girls because I think it's important for for our sports, uh, and I think we need other nations for, of course, of the interesting on for the cross country and uh, yeah, to the cross country to live uh, longer. I think if it's only Norwegian or Sweden, it could be boring and maybe the cross country. Yeah, we'll go away from some years, uh, and I just think uh, it's. I'm happy and glad to see other girls and other nations who's being on on the high level. So I'm. I was really happy for them, actually. I'll uh, go back to the question, which is asked a lot in the media, and I, it's asked oftentimes during the Olympics and during world championships, but this whole idea of, you know, is Norway winning too much? Yeah. Um, you know, is that something you guys, you talk about as teammates and, and you just spoke about this a little bit. It's that if Norway is dominating all the time, global interest diminishes a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course we get the, that question of many times and, um, of course, we, we need other nations up there, but we can't not uh, train lesser to to make that uh, to happen. So um, it's like uh, when you see in Kenya, they are very good to run. And in in the championship or Olympic, you can see maybe many of Kenya is in, in front. And I think uh, that's more important for us to, to talk about what we're doing in Norway and maybe learn uh, learn something uh, to the other nation to to get them on on the high level um, because I think we tend to do the training lesser to get them to other nation to come up there so yeah I think uh, in Norway the cross country is very interesting and we have lots of recreation and uh, many younger are looking after us. We have uh, Peter Norter, we have Johannes Kreber, we have Teresa and uh, to have that big stars in Norway uh, get also that uh, many uh, many of the younger is training and also want and have dreams in, in the future and then they know that uh, how to, to do it and how much to they have to train and yeah and I think um, for us it's that important to maybe to learn and tell about what we're doing in Norway to the other nation. Hey folks a quick interruption here we just wanted to give another shout and tell you this episode of Nordic Nation is supported by Fisher Sports based in Austria products available globally. Okay back to Bjorgen. So this year at home in Colon, presumably it's your last 30K race at home in Colon, at least as a World Cup athlete. It was quite an event here in the United States. It's, it's you know, for people who are fans of the sport, home in Colon is almost bigger than the Olympics sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and Jesse had a great race. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, what was going through your mind as that race transpired and it looked like she might get away with it? Um, I uh, was uh, thinking that I was fighting for a fourth or fifth place. Uh, 
when we was going out for uh, the last uh, run, uh, for last eight and eight point three kilometers. Uh, but I heard that I was taken second and um, for the other, and I also knew that uh, I had changed speed, and I knew that also that the other girls didn't haven't. And I heard that it was I was closer and closer. I didn't think it. I had the chance, but uh, I pushed push hard, and uh, yeah, I was closer and closer, and I think uh, in the last kilometers, I just passed them, and I can see that, uh, yeah, I was much uh, better, and yeah, I will, of course, I in the middle of the race, I thought that I was fighting for a four to five place, and I think... Um, the most important I was doing there was that I was changing skis in the, in the middle of the race. Uh, I think that uh, had the other girls done that, maybe they had the chance to to do it. So I think that's what was my secret that day. Is that something that you think is just from experience having the cool to take a moment and switch skis and know that you can still fight? Yeah, I think uh, I never give up. I uh, just pushing, and uh, you never know. And I also knew that uh, 30k is fitting me well, and uh, you never know what's happening in the yeah in the last five kilometers. And yeah, I was heard that I was taking second. Yeah, I was trying to do my best, and uh, yeah, and in the the last three kilometers, I knew that it could be possible and uh, then I was fighting more than of course I was also tired but uh, yeah I think uh, it was more motivation for me to come behind and take second than be in the front and hear that someone is coming behind you so yeah I'm trying to think so a year ago in 2017 in Oslo I think it was a 30k classic yeah and you and you were I think it was a really foggy day and you were way, way in front. Yeah. I think maybe several minutes in front yeah. and by yourself. Yeah. I, does it depend on the race or are you someone who prefers to be way out in front and dominate like that? Or like in 2018, where you're working from behind and everybody else up front knows that Marit Bjorgen is a hunter? Um, I have never won like race that I was doing in March in this year. Uh, I have never done it like in this way. So I feel that it was, yeah, it was uh, great to win like that also. Uh, but I also like to to be going going in the front and feel very strong and you yeah, and everyone is cheering on you and yeah, you can enjoy the last. Kilometers. I also like that, but it was also inter- very interesting to to win a race like I was doing this year. So also, um, well, they're both fun to watch, and it's always you know watching you in 2017. You were so far ahead that I kept on asking myself, like, are you even working hard? I mean, I know you're working hard, but you're dominating so much that it appears that you're on just a completely different level. Uh, I was working hard, but I think also uh, the other girls 
didn't try from the beginning. I think if they had tried to follow with me in the beginning, maybe some of the other girls have followed me. But I think they have too much respect for me on that point of point of <laughs> in March in 2017. So I think that they they didn't try actually. If you were coaching an athlete and there was someone else as dominant out there like you, there seems to be like a fine balance between respect, but at the same time, you want people to take risks. What would you you tell an athlete who is skiing against someone like yourself, you know, if you were coaching an athlete like that in the future? Yeah. I wanted them to try, actually. I, I like the athlete who no respect. Yeah, I wanted to coach that you have to try to follow. And yeah, if it's if you it's better to try than not to try. I mean, I have a couple of questions here that it it's uh, come up quite a bit in the news media here in the United States about uh, body image. And, and Jesse Diggins spoke recently in an essay. Uh, just about disclosing that she had struggled with an eating disorder when I believe she was in high school. You know, I'm curious, you know, what is that conversation like in Norway when it comes to female athletes and how they should or should not, you know, eat or train and that issue of becoming, you know, too lightweight or too skinny, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Uh, of course, we have also in Norway, like, uh, some athletes that uh, have some problem with uh, eating disorder. And I think uh, it always be an issue, in, uh, especially in entrance sport. But uh, on our team, we have always, uh, like, a yeah, doctor and uh, team around and uh, uh, watching every athlete and following up and having some tests that uh, your body is uh, good to to do the work and the training that you have to do to be on a high level. So uh, I think it always will be an issue in in like sport like cross country or running or yeah. Do the doctors? Yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. We we have a doctor and uh, and a team around there who's following up everyone every year. Would the Norwegian team have plans or a protocol if an athlete, you know, male or female? Yeah, yeah. If the body mass index indicated that there might be some eating disorder, would the Norwegian team? Yeah have a protocol to keep someone from racing? Yeah, they, uh, then, then you don't have the law to race or go to a training camp. You have to stay at home then. And of course, you have a team who's following up. And yeah, you have to be uh, fresh to be competing again or to be on a training camp. I think if the body uh, is too low, you you don't uh, get allowed to to race or to train. So let's kind of change a little bit to talk about your training. And there's been a lot of interest in endurance sport about you know what 
does Mark Bjorgen do to stay one so fit to be able to, in many years, uh, be consistent throughout the entire World Cup? And then as you've evolved as an athlete to be able to peak for you know events like uh, World Championships in 2017 in Lati or the 2018 Olympics. So there's been a lot of interest in, in what you've done over the course of your career. I think it's fair to say like by your mid-20s, your career or your results plateaued a little bit. Can you describe what your training methods were like early in your career compared to the latter part of your career? Uh, I think uh, in uh, yeah when I was uh, yeah younger uh, to up to twenty two twenty three I was training like everyone it's lots of training uh, slow training and some uh, intervals in the week maybe two three intervals but from uh, two thousand and three to two thousand and nine I was um training uh, lots of intervals uh, like you uh, you know Halgerud yep and yeah and uh, I have um, uh, have doing his training method from 2003 into 2009 and I uh, uh, was training where lots of intervals in periods it could be on a uh, two weeks I could train 18 intervals wow so it was some days two intervals and um, yeah I could have uh, like this uh, yeah in three four months like this I think that uh, gives me good results in 2005 in Oberstorf I think it helped me on the oxygen I was getting higher oxygen and uh, O2 you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Your yeah. VO2 max was bumped up? Yeah. Yep. It was uh, getting higher from 2003 to 2006. And I think that was the reason that I was getting the, the results in Oberstorf in 2005. But after, yeah, uh, from the Olympic in Torino 2006 to 2009 in Leibrich, I had some, yeah, my results was up and down. I was winning sometimes, and the day after I could do a, a bad race again. So it was, uh, yeah, the results was up and down. And I think that's the reason uh, that my body was not recovering after for many hard intervals and races. I think it's it was too lots of too hard intervals and to and the racing and i was coming to the world champion in libres 2009 and that i i was hoping to get some medals there but i didn't i was far away and then i understand that uh, yeah should i stop skiing or should i train training uh, different from i was doing and i thought that i know i was thinking that i am um, haven't not show how good i could be on skiing so i understand that i have to to change my training then i will see how it's gone and from 2000 in the spring 
2009, I was changing everything. I was training, yeah, uh, many hours, but lots of slow training. And uh, the body was recovering, and I feel that my legs were better, and things was working much better than had been in the last three years. So, and uh, that also gives me results in Vancouver. And then I understand that um, the the difference from the training to train very hard. My body was tired after so many years with hard intervals and everything, and I had to change to to change to train slow, slow training, but lots of training, and that helped me. Yes, yeah, so when we hear, it's interesting because when we hear about slow training, um, what what does that mean to you? I mean, I often hear it. It's like walking hills. Yeah, it's like uh, run, running slow, or you're uh, you uh, you can speak uh, on the when you're running uh-huh. or skiing. It's very slow training. It's like uh, I didn't the highest pulse pulse. It was hundred and thirty. Okay. I wasn't higher than that on the, on the sl- slow training. And what would be your max? like your max pulse at that time? My max was uh, 173, yeah. And when you switched, you know, when you were having difficulties, I think you mentioned in Librec or a- after Librec, you were thinking you needed a change. Yeah, yeah. Who were the people that are advising you? You know, it's like you are a prized athlete in Norway. And no one wants to make a mistake, you know, in terms of how you evolve as an athlete, I'm assuming. You know, who, who do you trust to guide you into making those changes like that? Uh, I would tell, uh, I was trusting myself. I, uh, someone, my trainer on this time, he was telling that I should change before. Uh, because I was changing trainer after 2006, after Turino, um, and he wanted me to change, but I didn't because I knew that that training I do at that gives me also results in Oberstdorf. So, but I have to when I was coming to after Libres in 2009, I understand myself that I have to change, and I think. Uh, that was the most important, and uh, that I understand it my, by myself, and uh, and also with with my trainer, he's uh, supporting me at that time, and I think I have learned a lot of what I do in that three years, and after so that I myself understand that I had to change the training. Do you? It's interesting because we think about you know here in the United States some of the athletes that I would you know I would compare you to in terms of stature would be like, you know, LeBron James, who's like world famous, obviously is an incredible athlete, but he has to have, I'm guessing, has to have people around him that can, that can say no, that can challenge him. Does that make sense? You know, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to believe it by yourself. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I have to, I have to come to after Limbless 2009 and I understand myself that I have to change the training to to come back again and to be on a high level. And 
Of course, uh, uh, my trainer at time, that time he was supporting me and we make a, a good plan from the spring to, to Vancouver. And that we had a plan that I have believe on, that was the most important, I think. And that my trainer is there to discussion uh, how we do it. And uh, yeah, that he also support me. What would you tell, you know, a young athlete who, you know, is 16, 17, 18, and is quite good about how they should go about training effectively? I mean, you've, you've had experience with a high-intensity model, like lower volume, higher intensity, yeah. and the model of higher volume and less frequent intensity. How would you advise an athlete looking to get better? Yeah, I think uh, it's no facet how we do it. I think I will not be, be out of the training I was doing in 2003 to 2006. It was uh, giving me higher oxygen, U2. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, had, I should have uh, changed the training uh, earlier than I was doing in 2009. So I think uh, you you can do both, but uh, maybe maybe not training so hard for many many years. I don't think so. You have to find out what's best for you and uh, and which athlete you are. I think uh, for me, I was uh, in, from the beginning. I was a sprinter. I was uh, fast in the short distance. I was. Uh, yeah, a lot of muscles uh, strong, and I think for me it was also important to to train intervals to get uh, to get higher oxygen uh, O2. So I think that's also it gave me a lift on my career. Of course it does. So it's it's hard to to tell. I think you have to to find uh, find out what's fitting you well, I think. But I think to be on a high level in cross country, of course, you have to train a lot, I think. For me, has, of course, my best years has been from I was 30 to 38. So, yeah, but I haven't been without the hard training either. So it's, I think it's given me a, uh, a lift on my career. So you've seen, you know, almost two decades of World Cup skiing and you know, I'm curious what your thoughts on are, you know, and how the sport has evolved, or how you would like to see it evolve. Uh, yeah, it's, of course, it will be interesting. Um, on the coast skiing is about ten years, and uh, how is the snow condition? And I think uh, to get the replacement, you have to have snow many places. Yeah, I think that's important. So it's it's hard to know, actually. And I think for the World Cup to make snow, it's uh, going forward. And I think that's no problem. But if we don't have uh, any athletes, younger athletes who can train at their home place, it maybe it will be hard to get some new athletes. And then it's interesting Let's see what's happening with the cross country. So here, here's a question about classic skiing in particular. So I think it was the the women's 30k 
in Pyeongchang. Yeah. And I was standing standing at the top of the long hill that came out of the stadium. Yeah. And you and you can stride it. And you know, I was I actually took my phone out. Uh, I think at that point you were off the front by yourself. And yeah. I took some video of you striding. Uh, and then I took some video of some people coming up uh, behind. The technique difference was amazing to watch. You know, I go back every once in a while and I look at the video of you and I look at the video of the other athletes. One is you didn't look very tired. You were very smooth. Um, and and I think people reference you quite a bit here in the United States and Canada, and I'm sure all over the globe, about how beautiful your classic technique is. Yeah. That said... What are your thoughts on the movement towards, you know, double polling and double polling more of a course and taking away from maybe what the beautiful pieces of classic skiing are? Uh, I went, I don't uh, want to have only double pulling. I want to, the classic part will stay because, yeah, I am born with it and I also like it as, and it's... Oof beautiful to see um, athletes who is racing very good classic. So I I hope it will uh, stand there in the future also. Yeah, I like that we have some uh, uh, races that we uh, have to to go uh, and not the, just double pulling. So, but it's hard to know about the dev- development uh, in the future what's happening but uh, I like the cross country and uh, like it's done today but um, what the younger athletes want it's uh, hard to know actually so uh, but yeah I I am growing up with that and uh, for me it was uh, I like classic from the beginning I was not uh, skater in my when I was younger so I uh, always like classic so so you are obviously a mom. What advice would you give someone wanting to start a family, but also continue to race at a high level? Uh, yeah, I think um, it's uh, of course it's possible. But uh, when I think think about what I have done and after I have been a mom, I am also happy that I have done everything. Yeah, what I have done before I get my married also. Because uh, the two last years, uh, it has been an incredible uh, performance in Lati and also in Pyeongchang. But uh, it has been very hard, actually. And I, I think if you want to do it, you have to have a good team around you. Uh, my husband hasn't been working the last two years. He has been staying at home for taking care of my my son and um, Marius. That I could, uh, of course, that I could train two two times in a day, but also to have the chance to recover. And um, I think it has been very hard. So uh, I'm also happy that I have done lots of my career also before I get Marius. But uh, I think. It's it's possible, uh, of course, but you have to have a very good team around you, and uh, it will be not easy. In the last two years, for me, has only be focused on training and to be with Marius and nothing else. So uh, it has been tough, also. But um, I'm glad that I have also done it. But also, we are happy that I have done a good career before Marius 
came up. Did you? I mean, I I have two children, and I've I'm sure every parent can speak about sleepless nights. Yeah. Did did you have did you have nights where literally you would get a few hours sleep and then have to go out and train? I mean, was that common for you, or were you able to manage that? I, yeah, I had some. Uh, uh, it was hard to to plan the training in the week because you never know what's happening. Uh, but I also had my husband. He was sleeping with him in the night, so I could have the my sleeping. To, because that I think that was also important to to get to, yeah high level on the training I was doing the day after. So my husband was taking the night, and I think that was important. But um, you never know when uh, your child is sick or yeah something happened. It was uh, I think. Uh, it's that many weeks that I have done actually what I wanted to do in the training. Uh, it always will be something changing. You are tired or uh, Marius was sick or something else happening. So so it was uh, almost hard, but I was getting a lot of help with from my husband. And uh, I think without him, I haven't uh, made it, of course. Is that, I mean, is that fairly common in Norway for, you know, a male to take on that role? I mean, it sounds like you made a very wise choice in terms of your partner. Um, you know, is that something that is a usual occurrence, the dad staying home or the dad being the primary caregiver for a few years? Uh, it's not normal in Norway, but uh, we were talking about that before Marius came in. We wanted a child, but uh, I also wanted to competing, and he said, you can start competing after I will stay home with my son. And uh, Yeah, I think uh, that we have a, a deal, and we, we was a t- good team together. That was important. Uh, of course, it don't uh, mean that they had to be the father. It could be you had the nanny or something else to be there, but for me it was great to have uh, my husband there and the father of my child there too. So, and he is also glad that he had he had the, the lots of time with uh, Marius. So, you know, how do you plan to sort of incorporate outdoor lifestyle and specifically skiing with your own? child or children um yeah i want to ski with him but i also think it's important that i i am there for him and that he choose what he wants to do but i supporting in everything if he wants to play football i supporting on that if he wants skiing i happy very happy for that but uh, maybe you don't want to do sports so that was uh, for sure important for me when I was young that I could uh, choose by myself what I wanted to do and I have my parents who are supporting me and uh, I will also do the same uh, to Marius and uh, yeah maybe I will not be a skier but maybe in other sports or something but um, I will be like for supporting him what he wants to do so that's what I am thinking yeah so you know when I was looking up you know I made the mistake of going on the FIS site and pulling up the result sheet for for you and it's obviously very long 
And it, you know, from looking at all the statistics from a journalistic perspective, it seems very difficult to pick out any highlight because there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a particular moment as an athlete uh, that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life? Oh, yeah. I guess that's a question a lot of time, but I think yeah. it's hard to choose. Uh, of course, it is. But I am happy, really happy to to end my career like I did in with the 30K in Pyeongchang. I'm happy for that race. I feel that the, the year was uh, a little bit challenging and uh, the Olympic was the biggest goal for me and that to, to finish like I did in the 30K was very big for me. Um, but also the first individual gold in Vancouver in the sprint was also very uh, important because I was... Yeah, there has been some tough years and I didn't know if I could come back again on a high level, but uh, I really did. And and to get the, the first indoor was special also. So. And of course, the, the world champion in Oslo was very important for me. So, But yeah, it's hard to, to choose one. <coughs> Everyone is special. And I, of course, remember every... For sure, Olympic and in and uh, <coughs> world champion. Um, I remember. I think it was the press conference after the thirty k your thirty k victory. No, where you kept open the possibility of you didn't come outright and say you know state I'm retiring. Yeah, and you talked a little bit like well maybe just maybe I'll come back for world championships in 2019. Yeah. After, you know, what made you kind of think after the 30K, it's like you weren't maybe ready yet? Uh, I was, I knew that I was uh, stopping after this year then, but I, I don't wanted to tell nobody before the season was finished. Uh-huh. So because of, then you get lots of questions and yeah, or you will be here for the last time and everything like that. So I, yeah. I really don't want you to tell before I was finished waiting. So that was important for me. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I knew it before the Olympic. Yeah. Ah, okay. I knew that that was my last. Yeah, I did. That makes sense. That's a good strategy. Yeah. You know, I guess you'd have to ask, like, say, Jesse Diggins and Keegan, because they're on a totally different level, in particular, Jesse right now, than any U.S. skier ever. That said, I'm sure you probably get an incredible amount of attention in the European media, in particular in Norway. What has that been like for you to be someone who grew up in a small town, the daughter of, you know, sounds like very earthy people. Yeah. To grow up as an adult, like with all this scrutiny, like why are you winning or why are you not winning? Yeah. Yeah. You know, how how has that been dealing with the media? Um it's in the beginning it was uh, hard and uh, tough because yeah, I was of course winning in 2005 and 2006 and then the result was not so good and maybe I was the second place and uh, the Norwegian media um was wondering what's happening and uh, I think 
I was yeah, I was happy with the second place, uh, but when I come to the Norwegian media, they was wondering what's happening, and then I uh, said, oh, this is not good enough. Mm. And uh, it was some years there, it was very tough, and um, but after, yeah, 2009, I was, uh, yeah, I was also working with a faculty, um, and uh, yeah, we also did the work at uh, the Norwegian to the media that I was yeah thinking about what's the best for me and not what's best for them and what I wanted to tell the Norwegian people. So, but of course in Norway you have uh, have you been on a high level? You you have to be there or you are not good enough in uh, the Norwegian media. It's hard hard with you. But uh, I think I've been in for this for 20 years, and I have learned to to how I was manage it. So for the last uh, eight years, it has been not a problem because uh, I always think about what what I want and what's best for me, and and I have decided me before I go to the media and uh, what I want to tell them. So, of course, in Norway, it's, I'm happy also that we have the, have the Norwegian media. Its population in Norway is very big, and um, that gives us also a sponsor to do to do to do that we wanted to do. And, um, and then we need the media also. So, but you have to learn how to take it. What is next for you? you know, career path or opportunities that you might look forward to in the next few years? Yeah, I'm not sure what I want to do. Uh, now I work with uh, one of my sponsors uh, with, uh, yeah, with a little bit training and yeah, telling about how to be in the sports and how we work to be on a high level. Uh, so, but I will, yeah, take some time and figure out what, I want to do. Maybe I will go to the school, or I want to do something else. Uh, it's early, early to say. It's uh, only four or five months since I quit skiing, and right. uh, skiing has been uh, twenty years of my life. So it's yeah, I have to use some time to figure out what I want to do. So sure, I mean you've earned that. So. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so last question is, we hear this quite a bit in the North American cross-country media. When uh, an, a Norwegian athlete is asked how the shape is, uh, they say the shape is good. How do you say like the shape is good in Norwegian? Formen er bra. How is your shape right now? Uh, it has been better. <laughs> Uh, I haven't been not that uh, much training after I stopped, so the motivation to train has been a little bit uh, hard, and uh, I hope it will be better when we came to the to the winter, yeah. so I could skiing again. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, are you gonna? Will you will you jump in any like citizens races or any races around Norway? No, I haven't been races. Uh, I I don't think I will be racing either in the winter. I just want to to skiing and have fun with that. And yeah, I'm 
I'm finished with the uh, finished with competition. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Well, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Well, have thank you. Yeah. No worries. Have a good evening. And I'm I'm assuming is it still light where you are right now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's still a little bit light, but it's getting dark. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know it was. I was like, ooh, okay, I don't know what time she goes to bed. This could be late. Okay, thanks, Marit, and uh, have a wonderful evening. Thank you, you too. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Take a Bow episode with Marit Bjorgen. <laughs>